Some of you don't know, um, we've had a tremendous influx in our, our youth group um, with the Langhams coming and all. They drew a, a bunch of children. So on uh, Thursdays when our youth group meets, we're looking at about 28 kids now. And so that's a real benefit for our church and a witness in the community as well. So it's nice to come back from our home group and see the parking lot full of cars and the yard full of kids and they're all having a great time and they're learning about the Lord and learning how to react and interact with other people. And it's just a, it's a really good thing that's happening. So we're grateful for those blessings. And I want to share with you, uh, beginning with Matthew 13 today, I'm going to start reading with verse 11. We're familiar with Matthew 13 because it's Matthew's account of the parable of the sower and the seed, uh, and the uh, seed with the four different rounds and all of that. That's not what I'm going to talk about today. But that's the background for it. Because uh, the giving of that parable and the explanation that's going to be asked for by the disciples has a, uh, some very important things for us to know. And we want to start reading. We'll back up to verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Did you get that? The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven as Matthew has it, has been given to you. They're yours. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth... Many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Now again, the context of him saying this is this parable of the seed falling on different ground. And starting with verse 18, after what we just read, he's going to explain that parable to his disciples. What he's telling them is that what happened, there's a direct correlation between what's going on in our hearts and how we see and hear and understand. It's what's in the heart that determines how we perceive and interpret what we see and hear. It's what's going on in our hearts that determines whether we put into practice where we begin to live out what we understand to be the truth or we don't. It's the thing that's going on in the heart. So it's one thing to see what God is doing. It's an entirely different thing to understand and be transformed by it. And that's what he's talking about. The 
transformation takes place in the connection between the Word of God and the life lived. So he says to his disciples, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven is given to you. So since we are followers of Christ, that means that's part of our heritage as God's children. The, the knowledge of the secrets. Now he goes on and talks about the hearing and the seeing and the heart transformed because it's more than information. It's not just information that he's given. He's talking to Jewish people, people that have been raised from small. Um, they understand the scriptures. They have all this history of the prophets, hundreds, thousands of years. Revelations from God through the Old Testament, uh, Mount Sinai and through the prophets and the powerful things that he did in and through those people and the promises and the blessings that have, that have been given. And yet these are the very ones who have difficulty hearing and seeing and understanding. They have the information, but they don't have the relationship. And that's what he's talking to them about. So he says, I'm telling you in parables because the people who are longing to know the Lord, as they seek after him, he will make it known to them. He will reveal that to you. Now these disciples were blessed because Jesus was right there. And he says, the, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. And then starting with verse 18, he is going to explain that parable to, to his disciples. He's not doing this to the great mass of people. They got the parable. But the explanation was for the disciples, those who were closest to Jesus, those who had that relationship with him, those who were hungering and thirsting after God to know him. And he was there. And they could talk to him. And he would open up their understanding. In Luke 24, um, on the road to Emmaus, after this is resurrection evening, Jesus, as he was walking with those disciples, it says that Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the scripture. And that's what he continues to do with people who, are, who come to the scripture with an open heart and an open mind and a hunger to know him. The Lord opens our minds and gives us the understanding as we seek to know him and walk with him. If we come with a hunger and a thirst. It's like if you're full, if you're, I mean, if you're just, you're just so full you can't take any more food in and you go and they have a big banquet set out before you. Um, what are you going to eat? Very little. Because you're already filled. And we fill our lives with so much stuff these days. Um, entertainment's all around us and so much to see, so much to hear, so much information bombarding us in every different area of our life. And we're so full that oftentimes there's no room for the Word of God in our hearts and lives. And so the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom are for those who have room in their lives and in their heart. Take the time. It's hard to have a relationship with another person if you never spend time with that person. Never. Call them up on the phone. Tell them what you want. Don't listen. Just tell them what you want. Hang up and gone. Right? That's what we do to God, isn't it? We fill our life with all the things that we want to do. We call him up and tell him what we want in our prayers. Hang up the line. And we're too busy to, to listen to what he has to say to us. 
And what he has to say to us is life. And it's transformative. And it changes us. But we're so full that we don't have time and we need to make room. And so Jesus is right there with them. Now he, he continues on. And as we know, physically, in the flesh, as far as an independent person, Jesus is not with us anymore uh, in bodily form. Now, we are the body of Christ in the flesh. That's us. We are the body of Christ. And so Christ is still with us, but he's with us in the hearts and lives of the people sitting next to you. That's where he is. And so if we want to know what Jesus is like, we need to look at each other. We need to be able to look at each other and see Christ in each other and have Christ meet us in the people that we fellowship with. It's what the body of Christ is all about. And with some of the people in our church that are struggling right now and those that are helping, um, they're being the body of Christ to each other. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? And it's a beautiful thing. And it's a strengthening thing. And it changes us both who receive and those who give. So Jesus said, uh, I'm going to heaven to return to my Father, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you a comforter, another counselor, one who will be with you and he will be with you always and he will be in you. And he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. And the main teaching that Jesus gave on the Holy Spirit was in Matthew 14, 15, and 16. I'm sorry, John 14, 15, and 16. He talks about the Holy Spirit being the Spirit of the truth who testifies about Jesus. And in John 15, verse 26, while he's um, talking to these men, he's telling them, in John uh, 15, 15 through 17, he's telling them that uh, they are no longer servants. That's what the designation of in the Old Testament about the prophets. They were called men of God or servants of God, the servant of the Lord. That's what they meant when they talked about uh, prophets often in the Old Testament. In John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And it's the branches where the fruit appears. And so we get the, the strength and the life from the vine. It flows through us. It produces fruit in us and through us. And Jesus tells, told those disciples there in the upper room, He said, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. And one of the things that Jesus repeated over and over and over again, particularly in John's gospel, is the words that I'm speaking to you, they're not mine. They don't come from me. I'm telling you what I have heard in the presence of the Father. It is the Word of God, as Jesus embodied the Word of God. 
And so he says, you are my friends. The secret things of the kingdom of God have been made known to you because of the presence of Christ. And he's taking what he's heard from God and seeing in God and he's doing it. He's speaking it. He's living it out. He's the incarnation. The word of God made flesh. And he's calling us to participate in that same walk. So I've called you friends because everything I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. The secrets of the kingdom of God are made known to you. He reminds them, you did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Oftentimes you hear people in Christian circles say, you know, I'm just trying to find out what the will of God is. This is it. I've called you, appointed you to go and bear fruit. That's the will of God. That's the call of God. That's the anointing of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us is producing that fruit within us because we can't do it by ourselves. I've tried. I've gone out to these trees and I've gone to an apple tree and I've stood and I've listened. I'm trying to hear this tree trying to produce this fruit. Ah, trying to produce the fruit. You know, it's done. it doesn't do that. It's at rest. It's at peace. It's functioning the way it was created to function. And as a natural product of what it's called to be and created to be, the fruit is there. And that ought to be true in your life and mine. So we're not over here trying to, to be holy. We're not over here trying to be peaceful or joyful or anything else. We're not trying to be kind and loving and gracious. We're connected to the Lord and when His life is flowing through us, that fruit will be there in our life. It'll be a natural outworking of the relationship of Christ in us. We have to make choices. There's a participation there. But if we're in in the right relationship with Him, the fruit the fruit will be there. And so they were, they were asking Jesus, you remember, about how they're going to know false teachers and the people who are really telling the truth. Jesus said, look at the fruit. Look at the person's life. And you'll see and you'll know who's telling you the truth and who's feeding you a line. You'll look and you'll see in their life who is walking with the Lord and who is trying to manipulate you for their own selfish ends. And there's a lot of that even in the church, isn't there? Uh, But the fruit is an indication of the relationship in the heart. You can't fake the fruit. Uh, You can do good works, try to make people think that's the fruit. But if you look at it, it's tainted fruit because the motive is wrong. And tainted fruit goes bad real quick. So Jesus is telling them the Holy Spirit's going to come. And in verse 26... He says, when the counselor comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from me and the Father, he will testify about me. And so God is going to take the things of, um, the Holy Spirit's going to take the things of God and make it known to them. He's going to testify about Jesus. Jesus tells us everything he's heard from his Father. Then in chapter 16, Starting with verse 12, Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. There are more secrets that you need to know. 
but you're not able to receive them now. So, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He, the Holy Spirit, will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me, that's Jesus, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. The secrets of the kingdom of God have been made known to you through the Holy Spirit. He is our teacher. He's our guide. He's the one who directs us. He's the one who opens the scripture. He's the one who takes that word and creates it, transforms it into life for you and for me. And that's what he has come to do. We know this to be true even from the Old Testament. Genesis 18, God's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But he's got his chosen man, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah. And so he comes down, personally, God comes down. And he takes human form, and he walks up there with a couple of his friends, a couple of the angels that are with him. And he looks at his friends, and he says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He's my chosen man. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed through him. I want him to know what I'm doing. I want him to know why this is coming. And it gives him an opportunity to know Abraham, an opportunity to know the heart of God and to enter into intercession based on the heart of God and the need of the people around him. And that's what takes place. So when God makes the secrets of the kingdom known to us, it's not just for us. It's so that we will know how to pray. And we can pray with power and authority because we know what God is doing and he is inviting us to participate with him. It's a tremendous thing that God is doing. I'm going to take these secrets and make it known to you. Now the whole thing about um, the New Testament is when it uses this word secret, it's the word uh, that we would translate mystery. But every time in the New Testament, there's about 25 different times that this word is used. This mystery of the kingdom of God, the mystery of evil, the mystery of, of iniquity and all these different things. All this whole list of mysteries, 25 times in there. What it means, this mystery in the New Testament is something that has been hidden that God has chosen this time to reveal it, to make it known. It's a mystery no more. Because God, through the Holy Spirit, wants us to understand what he's doing so we'll know how to live how to respond, how to act, how to pray, how to deal with one another. So the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us into all truth. In Amos chapter 3, verse 7, it says, The Lord God doesn't do anything without revealing His will to His servants, the prophets. Again, so they'll know what to do, how to respond, and how to pray. And most of the time when these secrets are revealed... It's for the benefit of the people around you so that you'll know how to pray for them better, how we can pray for them according to the will and plan of God. In Psalm 25, verse 14, says, God confides in those who fear him. God confides. He tells them what he's doing. Peter says, God has worked within us and he's given us everything we need 
for life in this world and he's called us to be partakers of the divine nature. The secrets of God revealed by the Spirit of God on behalf of the people of God. 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the same thing. Chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. And he's talking now about secrets because um, there are those in the church and on the fringes of the church who claim to have secret knowledge from God, uh, the Gnostics. Uh, from a, it's an a early Christian cult. Uh, the Gnostics were, the name means to know. And these, they placed a great emphasis on, on knowledge, but it was, shh, it's a secret knowledge. And only the elite get to know this secret knowledge. And so automatically there's a division in the church. These are the ones who are close to God, and these are the ones who are not so close to God, and these are the ones who are just barely know Him. And so we're, you're always judging everybody else. And you're always becoming proud because when you judge everybody else, it's, it's my standard that I always use. You know, When I judge you, I'm not using your standard, I'm using mine. And because mine's, mine's the correct one, right? <laughs> and so they were like that and it caused division and strife and they would get these people and there were secret words and secret signs and secret rituals and all that kind of stuff but the mysteries in the scripture are meant to be revealed they're meant to be shared they're, they're mysteries no longer because God is making them plain and as you read through the scripture and note where this word mystery is, uh, occurs it's things that God has revealed. Um, majority of them focus around the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done. It focuses around the gospel and God. Um, there are other things too, but those are where the main ones are focused on. And so all the secret wisdom of God we're going to find revealed to us through Jesus Christ by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So he's talking to that about the church at Corinth because they had problems there with people wanting... They were very divisive and competing with others, um, comparing churches to churches, you know, and saying we're better than them and all that. So he says in verse 7, No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Because in Christ Jesus, the secrets are revealed. However, as it is written, he's quoting from Isaiah 64, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. You want to know the deep things of God? You draw close to Jesus. All the mystery, all the secrets are contained, embodied in him. And Paul writes to the church at Colossae and he, he repeats it a couple of times there. You are made complete, full in Christ Jesus. Everything you need, Peter says, for life and godliness in this present world we find in Christ our Lord. 
And so he wants us to know and he invites us to, to participate even in these deep things of God. Now in Romans 16... And Paul's been talking about how we have access to that. In Romans 12, he says we present our bodies to God as living sacrifice, and then our minds are renewed. As God begins to open the scriptures to us, it, it changes us in every area of our life. We, we receive not only enlightenment, but transformation. There's a, an essential change that takes place in attitudes and motivation. And so as the Word of God begins to, to dwell in us and to bear fruit within us, then what takes place is that God is at work, as he tells the Philippian church, within us both to will and to do God's good pleasure. So in Romans 16, this is the blessing that he gives. Starting with verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel, that's Paul's, and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So he says this secret wisdom that's been a secret for thousands of years. Other places Paul says from before the foundation of the earth. Now revealed through God's revelation through the prophets and more particularly through the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And part of the secret is sins forgiven through the blood of Christ. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's the good news. That's the power of the resurrected Christ. Sins forgiven through the power of the blood of Christ. That's what the resurrection is all about. Free. No bondage. No fear. No guilt. No shame. Free. If the Son sets you free, you are genuinely, truly, really free. And you're responsible for what you do with the, with the freedom. You're accountable for what you do with the freedom. And so as they're writing about the different difficulties at Corinth and other places, he says everything's permissible. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds people up, including you and me. Anything's permissible, but these things don't glorify God, so why do it? It's counterproductive. You have genuine freedom. And we can use it to go back into slavery if we choose. But you've been set free. So walk in the freedom. And the secret things of the kingdom of God have been given to us. To benefit us. To strengthen us. To encourage us. Christ in you. The hope of glory. And it's inclusive. It includes everyone. This is where the Jews stumbled. The call had been there from the beginning with Abraham. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. And through the hardness of life and the difficulties of survival for them over long periods of time, 
the suffering and the challenges that they faced, they began to grow introvert and exclusive. And if we're not careful, that's what suffering does, doesn't it? It narrows us down and makes us more self-centered and pushes people away. And the gospel comes to bring, to open it up again and to help us walk in the freedom. And that freedom includes other people. We need each other. As the body of Christ, as the different parts of the body need each other. We need one another. And that's how we grow. That's where the sinful things in us have an opportunity to come out. Because when you're by yourself and you're content within yourself, there's no challenges. Which means there's no growth. When I was a a very young guy, I used to water ski when I was young, young. And um, we, we did it sometimes in the summer, two or three times a week. And it got good. I was pretty good at it. Uh, trick skis, slalom skis, we had big discs, we had a board, surfboard. Haven't done it in many, many years now, but it was really good back then. But I discovered something. Um, when I stopped falling, I stopped learning because I wasn't doing anything new. wasn't doing anything that pushed me um, beyond what I was already comfortable with. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us comfortable for very long. He challenges us and pushes us that we might know him better in a deeper, more intense way. And as we work and walk together, um, we rub shoulders with one another, and that's where, that's where our sinfulness comes out for the purpose of having it cleansed and dealt with so that the relationship between us can become stronger. And that's how it works. It's not comfortable. It's not a pleasant It's not enjoyable. But that's where the growth takes place. That's where the cleansing comes from. That's where the secret things become reality in our hearts and lives. And that's what he calls us to participate. That these secret things become real because God is wanting to reveal them in you and in me. And then through us to the world around us. And so God is working in us and through us speaking his word that gives life. And as we grow with him and as we walk with him, our capacity to receive becomes larger and larger and larger. And so he's looking for maturity and growth in your heart and in mine, in our relationship and in the way that we live our lives walking with him. And that means our relationship with everybody else. And there should be growth and progress there. And as we do that, then the revelation of God becomes a daily thing for us. And when the world hits us hard, and it will, and when we're struggling with physical things or spiritual things or emotional things or mental things, and then we get attacked in every one of those areas, then we have a resource within us, the secret power of the presence of Christ in us. And he rises up and makes us equal to the task. And we are, then we become the light of the world. And the light of the world is this, Christ in you. He is the light of the world. We get to be um, the light bulb, but the light comes from him. We're the glass, he's the filament, and the electricity, and the power switch. He's all of that. Contained within people like you and people like me.
Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that in your mercy and grace, because of our sin and our clouded thinking and our misplaced priorities, we struggle to know what your will is for us. And we struggle to find you in the dark. Give you thanks and praise, glory and honor for sending Jesus Christ, the light of the world, into my darkness. And when he came, he illuminates everything. Lord, I pray that you would help me to, to turn over anew and afresh those areas that are still dark. That I might walk in the fullness of your light. Pray, Father, as we come before you this morning, that you would do that within each one of us, transforming us, enabling us, equipping us, sending us forth to be the light of the world that you've called us to be. Your presence, your life, your peace, your joy flowing out through us to the people around us. Thank you for your blood of Christ who cleanses us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who, who infills us and applies the blood of Christ to every area of our life, producing that fruit in and through us. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege, the grace, the mercy that reaches down and lifts us up through Christ our Lord. Amen. So every Sunday in our church, um, we have communion. It's, a, it's important for us. Um, because it's a reminder. As we commune together, we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes, as Paul told us. It's a proclamation, it's a reminder to us that our sins have been cleansed and, fit and forgiven and paid for by the blood of Christ. And so we come as sinful, needy people. We confess our sins. We repent before the Lord. Repent doesn't mean we're sorry. It means that we're going to be different. That's what it means. Anybody can be sorry. Only Christ can make us different. And so he says this is the opportunity. And um, it's not a once-off thing, is it? Uh, the renewing is a constant thing. It's like eating or drinking or breathing. It's a constant thing that we have to do in order to have life. And so he offers that to us. So we come in acknowledgement of that, proclaiming not only his death but his resurrection, the power of the cross. And not only that, he died so that the Holy Spirit can come and fill us and enable us to do what we're not able to do by ourselves. And so that's what we acknowledge as we come. Uh, we come also with an awareness that this table is the table of the Lord and it's open for everyone. Um, it's not necessarily for holy people, although if there are any holy people around, they're welcome to come. I haven't found any. <laughs> But it's for sinners. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Uh, every one of those men in the upper room that day, before the sun rose, were going to run away. Some were going to betray him. Some were going to deny him. All were going to run away from him and hide. Um, they've made commitments. They made public decorations. They had sacrificed a lot. But bottom line, uh, when it was their life or his, they chose theirs. And we do the same thing every time apart from the grace of God in our life. So we come. That's why it's open to all. Um, the blood of Christ was shed for all. And the gifts and graces are for all who are willing to receive. And so anyone who wants to come is welcome here. 
um, because we believe it's the presence of the Lord and when we come we expect to meet him here as we've expected to meet him here through the word and through the music through the friendship and fellowship that we share with each one of you and so we ask that God would be glorified and lifted up in all of these areas so um, we do this and we receive it and the secrets of the knowledge of God is made known to us because on the night that he was betrayed Jesus took bread and he who was the, the revelation of the greatest secret of God his grace and love for us took bread and after he had given thanks he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying take, eat this is my body it's broken for you after supper he took the cup and after he had given thanks he gave it to his disciples saying all of you drink from this cup this cup is a new covenant in my blood it's shed for you and for many it's for the forgiveness of sins and so he offers us real food and real drink not the kind that we have to keep repeating over and over and over again but the kind that gives life and imparts health and strength and wholeness and he invites us to come so will those who are serving communion please come forward